Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into this week is 2012's Safe House versus 1997's LA Confidential. It's episode 159, if you're wondering, Keenan. Nine weeks since we did our American Pie podcast, which has flown by. Yeah. How are we doing today? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Week off for me, so... uh... About as chirpy as I can be, but back to work next week, assume, unfortunately. Assume you spent the week playing football manager. And watching uh, the, World the World Cup. Cup so. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, about as uh, productive a week as I could have had in the circumstances. Got to do a bit more scouting on this uh, latest football manager. I've not quite got to grips with it yet. Some 17-year-old okay. asking me for 40 grand a week earlier. Who do you think he afternoon. is? Exactly. So I said, you can stay in the uh, drudgeons at... Dortmund, I think it was. So there we go. Was, was it my guy, Yusef Makoko? No, it was. It was. Uh, if it wasn't a regen, I couldn't tell you his name. So okay, fair enough. It was like triple barrel. Um, so there we go. We do have some news of the week to get into, so we will get straight into that. A Bruce Almighty two-pitch saw Jim Carrey have Satan's powers. Jim Carrey's Bruce Nolan became Satan in an unmade sequel perfectly titled Brucifer. That's not, there isn't really a word in that, in that paragraph I enjoy. <laughs> no, uh, I've been telling everyone since we did Movie Madness Episode 1 um, we need to have some revisionism surrounding Bruce Almighty. It is not the film people are telling us it is. I completely agree. And if so, you remember, if you cast your mind back all those all those months yeah. and months ago, um, I was a big fan going in. Yeah, I think, well, that's the reason we started the podcast with it was it was like a big hitter in Bruce Almighty against a film. Yeah. Me, you and TK liked, but kind of, me, you actually, TK hadn't seen it, liked, but kind of assumed, okay, I'll be a walk in the park, Bruce Almighty, Sex Drive. Yeah. Sex Drive comes through. The uh, Seth Green side character of the year was born. Yeah. And uh, the rest, including Sean, are history. <laughs> Shoot, what a guy. So you. the story goes here that the creators of uh, Bruce Almighty went back to the studio, and this was 2012, so four years removed from Evan, Evan Almighty. Almighty. And yeah. in no uncertain terms, they told him, get fucked. Absolutely not. Did I feel you not like, see what happened last time around? Yeah, I think they, if they were going to do that, I don't know if the idea was spawned then or whatever it was, but they should have. That's what they they would have had to make that before Evan Almighty, basically. They basically said they had the idea, but they had to go in and they wanted to get Jennifer Aniston on board. And they wanted basically to have everything crossed and then go to the studio and say, okay. ta-da, and then it didn't quite happen. Because they said they came up with the idea on the night that Bruce Almighty opened. Yeah, I mean, you'd think it was your next logical step, right? They say the hesitation largely, if even if you take Evan Almighty out of it, yeah, 
was that it's very hard to have a kind of family comedy, which is what Bruce Almighty was, mm. when you're saying that your character ha- now has the powers of the most evil man, well, the most evil thing to ever be written in history. Mm. And Sam, Sandler did it, Little Nicky. That's not exactly... That's no. not. I imagine that probably would have cost a lot less than what they would have been asking for here. Probably. Uh, the the thing was basically uh, following Bruce Almighty, he settles down, Jennifer Aniston, he's got married, and then he suddenly realises, I was literally God, and now my life is shit again. Yeah. And he does the same thing. This time the devil comes down. I wonder who would have played the devil? Yeah. Who would I want that to be? There's someone I mean, who got... plays the devil in one of the first Final Destinations. In my head, I've got it done as being Ving Rhames, but I may be completely wrong there. No idea. No idea. I would have liked... As they got Freeman, and if they could have got someone of the same stature, I'd love to De Niro to pop up playing the yeah, devil. Yeah, yeah, that would be class. But it didn't happen. I did, didn't take this down as a full-on headline, but Jim Carrey, I know he says he's retired now. When... Dumb and Dumber 2 was taking place. And that would have been 2012 as well. So mm. the story goes, he'd just seen Paranormal Activity and he was blown away by it. And we don't need to go into our thoughts on it again. But he goes in and there was this big thing the first time around with Dumb and Dumber that they thought the set of it was haunted with it being doors closing and all, all these other little things. Yeah. And he said it would be a great idea to concurrently filmed Dumb and Dumber 2 and a found footage horror film in where the filming of this suddenly goes wrong and it becomes a horror film by the end of it. And the writers say, of Dumb and Dumber say, it's actually always looking like a legit thing. And the studio kind of gave them, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then they came round to kind of put things in motion unless we thought you were joking. We're paying you a lot of money to do Dumb and Dumber. We are not asking you to film another thing on the side to diminish the product that we're paying you big bucks for. Yeah. All sounds reasonable. They say Jim Carrey took it like a real, like really hard. Yeah. Like he thought this was this brilliant concept and he took it that people didn't have the same faith in him that they once did rather Mm. than it being we're not pumping a hundred million dollars into a film for you to do a little passion project on the side. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Something you may have seen. So we quoted Quentin Tarantino last week and I don't know if you knew, it was actually Tom Segura's podcast. He was on that's blown up with all these headlines. No, I did not know that. Yeah. So there's some interesting clips from it. A couple of them have uh, got some quite big reaction he was asked, as a lot of directors seem to be, their thoughts on Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And he says, with each point, now I don't think I'm the first person to be making these points, and he says, literally my only axe to grind against them is that they're the only things that seem to be made, and they're the only things that seem to generate any kind of excitement amongst a fan base or even for the studio making them. That's yes. what they're excited about. And so it's just the fact that they're the entire representation of this era of movies right now. There's not really much room for anything else. That's my problem. I feel like I said this almost the exact same thing about nine months ago. Yeah, so he's, he, 
he says, if someone in my position says this, people take it as you're, you hate Marvel movies, you're sour grapes and this. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can go back and listen to my interviews from 20 plus years ago. He said, I was a massive comic book fan. Yeah, yeah, he is. And he said, I used to love going into the cinema. And he said, I would have loved this if we had Marvel Studios this long ago. But the thing was, I could go and see the new Iron Man or I could go and see this other film that's on the yeah. side. And he says, my issue is that we have so many of these that studios and cinemas and whatever don't make the room for these smaller projects because why would I when I can make all my money on correct yeah, yeah yeah I know no I could I, and I do get that and I do completely agree so he he also continued and this was what prompted uh, some stick you may have seen the guy from Shang-Chi and me just saying it is that probably adds into his point here he says Marvel actors are not movie stars. He said, part of the Marvelization of Hollywood is you have all these actors who've become famous playing these characters. They're not movie stars, right? Captain America is the star. Thor's the star. I'm not the first person to say that. I think that's been said a zillion times. But it's these franchise characters become a star. Back in 2005, if an actor stars in a movie that does as good as the Marvel films do, uh, that guy's an absolute star. It means people dig him or her and they like them and they want to see them in stuff. Sandra Bullock's in Speed. Everyone thought she was amazing in it. Everyone fell in love with her. They were excited by Sandra Bullock and wanted to see her in something else. That's not the case now. We want to see that guy keep playing Wolverine and keep playing Wolverine and keep playing Wolverine. And that's what that's what people have got annoyed about. Yeah, so the guy from Shang-Chi says that people like Scorsese and Tarantino of uh, gatekeeping Hollywood and Tarantino wouldn't have taken a chance on him to lead a $400 million film. And a lot of people have got into him and said, Scorsese and Tarantino are some of the most diverse filmmakers that you will have seen in the last 30 years. Yeah, you mean also, the, guy who, the, the, the guy who took chances on all those people in his original film? In his original films, you mean? Hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. But I do, like, he d- does... The Tarantino does make a good point. Like he's right. Yeah. What? Well, like, I've, think about I've... even think about Damon in Bourne, right? Yeah. It was that was because I'm trying to think of something else, but it was Damon you wanted to see. I think anyway. Well, my um, thing was that I like Shang Chi. It's one of the most original things Marvel have made in years. I haven't seen it. And then I thought I actually can't tell you the main guy's name, and I don't think that's just a me thing because I feel like I'm reasonably good. With if I see someone I like, then I'll go and I'll want to look up everything they've done. If I don't watch it, I read enough about them because I take an interest in. Mm. But he he is just Shang Chi. That's what I'll see him in next. And I've never really had the urge since watching it last year to go and see anything else that he's done. And yeah, a lot a lot of people have pointed out that maybe you should look a bit closer into Disney and Marvel if he wants to talk about diversity before coming for some of these guys because. Mm-hmm. I think Scorsese in particular, what, in like 2018 maybe? He went and did that film called Silence with Andrew Garfield and I can't tell you who else it was. Maybe it was Adam Driver. Um, Mm. But he does that. And then everyone else in the film is Vietnamese, I believe. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a strange one. People pointed out just because he thinks your film's shit, doesn't mean 
he's a racist. Like it's yeah, yeah. But that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Um and finally, James Cameron was asked to address the cost of his Avatar sequel. I feel we could maybe change this to Tarantino and Avatar News Weekly, but yeah, they're the people in the headlines. He said it was very fucking expensive. Um, <laughs> this film represents the worst business case in movie history. You have to be the third or fourth highest grossing film in history. That's your threshold to break even. Jesus. <laughs> He, I feel like I'd like him a lot more than I like most of his films. You know, I was about to say, the more I hear from him, I kind yeah. of just assumed I wouldn't like him. Yeah, but he seems um, like some boy. So he, he was asked, why, when we see the detail in a lot of your films, did you not create almost like a full-scale rebuild of the Titanic when you did it? And he said, we actually had someone offer to do it on site in <laughs> Poland for 10 million. And he said, I don't know how much you know about my type of directing. If you're telling me I need to spend 10 million pounds and I have one shot, I have one attempt to get the sinking of this thing correct. That does not sound like a good business case for me. It's a valid point. So he did a big thing about studio executives and they're basically good for giving you the money but anytime any of them come into his office and try to give a suggestion or a pointer he tells them to fuck off and so he should yeah he said he was told in the first avatar that they told him he needed to make it so much shorter and he said well look now like if i'd listened <laughs> to that person what would we be saying now yeah most yeah i mean he's got at one point he held like the two highest grossing films ever yeah, and he's pointed that out before, and he said, like, I sound like an asshole saying that, but <laughs> all I'm saying is I probably have a better grasp of what needs to be done here than you do. Again, if he started the sentence by saying I sound like an asshole, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, he <laughs> he was going at the English this week as well. Yeah. He was saying that when he came over to do some work on Aliens, everyone there seemed offended that he was asking them to do a job for him. And he said they felt, and I'm paraphrasing, that it was far more of a collaborative effort. They should be coming to him and saying, do you not think we should do this? And he said, well, no, I'm the guy who is going to take the fall if this does horribly. It's the whole, my whole directing career. It's kind of been, you're here to do this job. Could you, I give you the pointers and so on. And he said they were also very slow. So he didn't have a great experience. But he did say maybe it was just that particular group of people. So who knows? I think we probably trust his judgment, as we've said. All, all valid points, by the way. Yeah. My career's on the line here. Ultimately, this is what I require from you. I feel yeah. like that's a very fair suggestion. If if uh, Klopp's going into a uh, make-or-break game, he mm. can listen to uh, Pep Linders or whoever it is. But ultimately... <laughs> Yeah. He's the guy who's going to take the hit if yeah. they lose the game. So Exactly. Jim Cameron probably knows what he's doing. Yeah, I'd say so. Anyway, let's get started. 2012's Safe House. He's an expert in psychological manipulation. He was one of the most brilliant CIA operatives until he went rogue. Oh my God, that's Tobin Frost. I've been waiting a long time for this. Frost is on the loose. <laughs> You leave. Do I make you nervous? No. 
not gonna get my head. I'm already in your head. Safe House is the most intense thriller since Born. Safe House, rated R. Time's a waste. Now playing. I can't tell you how much it pained me to not take one of the 500 trailers with no church in the wild mm-hmm. as the soundtrack. But unfortunately, I feel they're probably the type that have automatic software to completely wipe out this podcast if uh, I was to use their song unlicensed in an episode. So took the safe route there. Yeah, I don't blame you. No. So a young CIA agent is tasked with looking after a fugitive in a safe house. But when the safe house is attacked, he finds himself on the run with his charge. Did you see this back in 2012? No. Can you remember the hype around this in 2012? No. Okay, so... I can imagine that there would have been, but I don't remember it. So I frequently reference on here the first year I got my cinema card and so on and Mm -hmm. so on. But I remember this being a fairly big deal when it first came out. Part of it was... Sean had just got his driving license, I believe. Right. And so, do you mean he... a big deal to you or in general? So, no, I just remember the trip stands out. I remember there was okay. a couple of us that went to watch it. The thing was, Sean, I mean, if I'm putting myself in his shoes, maybe had ideas above his station. Cool. Because, well, the first time I'm driving a car, like, on my own, I don't need four of my mates in the car with me. Fair. Um, and I remember driving. It was a, it was a big. We went to KFC on the way. Drove around to the cinema, so on. And I remember there being some issues. Look, I don't drive, so I'm yeah. saying this from a place of I couldn't do any better. But I just remember the trip, and I remember no church in the world was huge in getting it out there. Mm-hmm. Denzel more than Ryan Reynolds. I don't even know how many Denzel films a lot of us would have seen back then. But I think we've always just been conditioned to know that Denzel is that guy. And he is, and continues to be. Exactly. And this was, I think this was around the summertime this would have come out. So big summer release, got the big explosions in the trailer, the soundtrack. I just remember there being a lot of hype surrounding it. I thought, actually, we'll get onto it. So the, the critics' reviews... What are you expecting them to say about this? Very middle of the road. We've seen this before. Denzel's good. It's the same old film. Um, The South African location, Denzel Washington's duplicitous dialogue and the intense car chases help to coax viewers into forgetting about the humdrum plot. So pretty much exactly what I just said. (laughs) Nothing you haven't seen before. Safe House is lightning fast and full of shootouts, brutal fistfights, and chase scenes. Safe House wasn't bad, it just wasn't new. And if a movie is involving rogue agents, it needs to meet its characterization with a plot that keeps us guessing. Safe House has a cast full of actors who would make any director blush with confidence, but each and every one of them is used as scenery for the action scenes. And finally, Safe House is fairly predictable at times, but it also boasts brutally intense, edge of your action and great star performances from Reynolds and Washington. So yeah, pretty much what we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Now, the casting, 
Sam Worthington, Shia LaBeouf, Andrew Garfield, James McAvoy, Zach Efron, Channing Tatum, Jake Gyllenhaal, Tom Hardy, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pine were supposedly all of the people offered this before it gets to Ryan Reynolds. Um, I think you really can staple the place in time with Sam Worthington. Yep. Shia LaBeouf. Andrew Garfield's an odd one, as is James McAvoy. Yep. I think they would have played it, I mean, no offence to them, but they'd have played it far more of a, I'm the intelligent yeah, yeah. data guy. I don't go on the field for a good reason, and then they have to. Yeah. Tom Hardy was in everything at this stage. I mean, this is the year of uh, Lawless. Yeah. And Start My Rises. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth, I mean, he's just been doing this and doing this. Chris Pine, again, this is a year of Chris Pine. Zac mm-hmm. Efron, probably around the time they're trying to form him to being this guy. Never really yeah. happened. Channing Tatum, Jake Gyllenhaal, same thing. I took a look back and I wrote down the first thing in my notes that this is still when they're trying to figure out how to use Ryan Reynolds. Like, if you go through his IMDb, he starts off in these roles like Van Wilder, Amityville Horror, Waiting, Just Friends, these low-budget kind of teen rom com types. Um, yeah. Amityville Horror is a standout there. I guess he just looks the all-American type casting. Mm-hmm. Which is strange considering he's Canadian, but... <laughs> he then plays the asshole love interest in Adventureland. I don't know if yeah. you ever saw that. I've seen that with yeah. uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, um, yeah. Kristen Stewart. I quite like it. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly a bit different. Um, yeah. He then plays Wade Wilson in Wolverine in a tiny role. And then he's the only character in Buried, which I think we've both spoken about before as being a really underrated film. No, I don't think that was you and I. Okay. I've definitely said it. Maybe it's TK. Well, Sean, maybe. Yeah, very good film. One of those kind of phone boothy on a lesser scale in that it's basically one guy. That, yeah, phone yeah. booth's a bad example, but yeah, he's literally him in frame. No, but I, I get what you're saying. Because phone yeah. booth, there's other bits, but for 45 minutes of the film, it's fucking Colin Farrell in a phone yeah. booth. This yeah, is literally the entire framing of the film is him in a grave and yeah. with a with a telephone and that's it. Okay. Really good film. Um they try to give him the leading man mantle back again in Green Lantern, which obviously goes horribly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he's pointed out this was not supposed to be a comedy. Like you should look at this in the way you look at like your Iron Man's or whatever now. Yeah. I think when we look back at even just the casting, I think Seth Rogen's involved in this, isn't he? You look back what, at in this, the Green Lantern? Is he in the Green Lantern? He's something to do with the Green Lantern because he's in the I book. Thought he, I thought he was in the Green Hornet. Okay, okay, I've confused the two. I might be wrong. Yeah. But I thought him Green and Lantern. John Cho were in the Green yeah, Hornet. Yeah, you're spot on. You're spot on. Um, Green Lantern, I mean, I read an interview with Ryan Reynolds right before coming on. He, he's very quick to point out this was not a comedy. So this isn't yeah. even like, okay, they're on the right track here, but it doesn't work. Then a year later, they still can't work out if he's a rom-com guy or an action star mm-hmm. guy. And he does both. He does the change up with Jason Bateman. Yeah. Same. And he does safe house. Mm. And then a year later, they're working the right way. And they do RIPD, which we referenced last week, I think. Um, that for some reason, there's a sequel coming out for this that nobody asked for. 
And then it takes us to 2015 where we get Deadpool and it's like, okay, this is the role you've been born to play your whole life. Yeah, and then from there he becomes a megastar. Yeah. Buys a, buys a gin company, basically becomes a billionaire, buys a football team and now he's fucking everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> fair play. But uh, if you were a casting agent now, mm. if you had Keenan's casting couch... Probably wouldn't phrase it that way, but okay. <laughs> I think... If you looked back at the roles you'd placed Ryan Reynolds in from twenty between twenty fifteen and about two thousand and five, I think you would look at every film you put him in and say, I don't have any regrets there. Like he looks like the guy that should be playing all of the he looks like the guy that should be doing the Chris Pine rom coms and So I think that's where you stay. If 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 I was in charge of his career it sounds terrible to say, but there's no way he ends up as Deadpool. No, and that's that's so. When I look back at the, we've looked back before at people's careers, it's like, why the hell were they doing that? Mm-hmm. For this one, I I don't think there can be many uh, criticisms in terms of the way he was being steered. Like they literally tried everything, yeah. And the most success he's had was in those teen comedy style. Yeah. Like, him in Just Friends. Mm. is the kind of thing that is the kind of thing he does and yep. he gets in kind of a marvelly film when he does the wolverine not an mcu one no and that's kind of his intro and then maybe that just got him the right people to talk to that he eventually gets deadpool yeah and down the line it's very interesting we have to say he's not obviously as everyone knows he's fantastic as deadpool but yeah if i'm in charge of his career he's probably still doing rom-coms now yeah he meets um, Blake Lively, I believe, doing Green Lantern, so not all bad for him. No, do you know what I mean? Wife and a couple of kids, so he's probably quite happy about it. Yeah. Now, my favourite Denzel trivia I read this week. Denzel, <laughs> per request, was actually waterboarded during the filming of this uh, these scenes. Only for a few seconds per take but he insisted on, for one, not getting a stunt person in just to, just to take that for him with a cloth over the head. Yeah. And he's, I think he kind of, what's the worst that can happen a couple of seconds at a time and put himself through it. And yeah. he probably would have been very pissed off if it's, direct, if it's the director's fault we're not getting the right takes. Yeah, fair. But I, I've told, I mean, I've told the story, me and TK on the main pod before. I don't know if we told it on this one. After this film came out, the legacy of this film, there was a girl in our year at sixth form who said that waterboarding couldn't possibly work. And (laughs) awful looking back on her request, she was waterboarded in the middle of our common room. Sound? How did it go for her? Awfully? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Two seconds in. (laughs) <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah actually um that's a pretty horrific thing and yeah. someone did point out like this is something that is deemed too mm. heinous to do on like terror suspects where like yeah. the fate of the country could be at stake and this is deemed too much yeah like i As know you were young like, but that's just fucking stupidity. It's I mean, even on... the young, we were like 17, 16, 17. I mean, you, you think about what you knew then and what you know now. Yeah. We're not we're not exactly old now, but 
you're a world away. You're you're a world away. You're still fucking young when you're seventeen. But that is fucking stupid. <laughs> it's like, some, it's, like it's to the equipment. The equivalent is like being, oh yeah, Brandon can't hurt that much. <laughs> I think I think a lad asked to have it done to him after just to know what it felt like. So strange, strange afternoon. One of those free periods where someone else could get up too much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't really feel good about what happened in the last hour. Uh, well, look, it was consensual. That's all you yeah, got to say. I mean, I'm about to ask you like you're an expert on the subject. Mm. Could you could you die by this or not? Well, yes. Oh, yeah, technically. Of course you can. I, I mean, if it was like 24, like you just never stop pouring. Yeah, eventually the old point is you can't you can't dispel the water, so eventually you you just drown within yourself. Okay, so I was jumping that. My next point was going to be from some of the horrendous things that we hear happen. Yeah, Joe. Obviously, like you, the idea of it is to simulate that you're drowning. Yeah, that you're drowning. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, the, the cloth is there to it's dispel and like to lessen it. After a while, eventually, enough water will leak through that you can't dispel it. You just drown in your you you drown so in your own. That's what I meant. So say it was like in this in this film where it's every like he's getting it for about 10 seconds at a time mm. if they kept bringing him back up and kept doing that could they it's just not, keep it's not a guarantee i don't think it would be guaranteed death but yes there's certainly a chance that you'd die um, i'm not planning on trying it out so this is why i'm asking you the questions like <laughs> you know what's going on maybe the mm. uh, same happened when you were in sick form no no yeah, that, that's one. I think we told it on a Monday podcast before, and I think it was me, TK, and there would have been a couple others that weren't at school with us. And it's only when you see the person's faces where you even now realise, yeah, that was <laughs> that was worse than than I think than we even thought at the time. I remember the the tense weight of someone going to like fill up their water bottle. Mm-hmm and this taking place but even with people telling this girl just quite what the seriousness was she was insistent that it can't possibly be that bad so i mean 2012 so just really like you said once the films come out the question is this is like post all the guantanamo scandals yeah yeah um, it's just a fucking more yeah yeah not good um the film also could have been very different Denzel, the kind of guy that we supposedly know him to be, the producers and the director did not get on. And they wanted him gone. Mm. But Denzel requested and was given a clause in his contract that gave him director approval. (laughs) They wanted to get rid of him. They come to Denzel and he says, absolutely not. This is who I want to direct. And that's that. So their hands are tied. They're going to lose Denzel if they lose him, and they let him finish the movie. That's what happens when you do when you deal with big big time stars. <laughs> yeah, it it was the most financially successful film ever by a Swedish director. So I don't okay. know what relationship they'd have had before if Denzel just liked the way they were working once they started linking up. Don't know, but or he um... also strikes me as the type that would just take issue with movie producers and the things they do. So. Maybe it yeah. was just his opportunity to stick it to the man. Possibly. Uh, in terms of changes to the script, so it was going to be a bit longer and we were going to get find out that Weston's ability to kind of catch up to Tobin Frost 
was explained that when he was in the CIA Academy for new agents training, the file that he was assigned to learn from as his case study was yeah. Tobin Frost. Um, maybe that would have been integrated if, as we said, the casting went to McAvoy or yeah. or Andrew Garfield, because then it's a far more level playing field. Because yeah. Denzel is physically overroaring Ryan Reynolds in this, but I think there's a slight change to Denzel's character. Like when it's two people at the same size, and it's a difference in uh, combat skill is the reason that he's overpowering him. It would feel very hard, even with Denzel, to root for his character in any way if he's just battering Andrew Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you said. And so maybe that was there if those were the initial casting and that could have been the way to go about it. So the scenes where Weston tracks down Frost in the South African township, mm. they're in the final draft, obviously, and they're just altered a bit. So he uses his kind of ad hoc research skills. He uses like the sign that he saw when he was driving the car yeah, and so on. They kind of just kept some bits in and explained it away. Yeah. And I think they explained it away well enough. Yeah. And the way these things always seem to work with the sequence of the films and the way we do them, this film was originally set in the favelas of Rio de Janeiro, mm. but the production decided not to shoot there due to security concerns. Okay. So, <laughs> as we learned uh, last as week, we the City of week. God. Good yeah. idea. Exactly. Now, a sequel was planned after the film's success in 2012, um, but the project has remained in what they call development hell um, as of now, so never made it past the planning stages. I don't think, yeah, I think that's one that never will, mate. Yeah, never say never, because well, as we have seen, these things just strangely come back around. No, you're right, never say never, but I'd be fairly confident in saying that's not one, because Ryan Reynolds just is unlikely to have a need to revisit that, do you know what I mean? Yeah, unless it was a him and Denzel thing where maybe... He just wants the opportunity to work with Denzel again. Maybe. But then Denzel. Is it strange to you that of all the films Denzel's done, The Equalizer is the one that's carried the sequels? And that's the way, that's the route he's going down. No, not, no, no. I think maybe, I think that's just a timing thing and a career thing. Because we're shooting The Equalizer 3 currently. Mm-hmm. And he's linking back up with um, Dakota Fanning from Man on Fire. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you got all these, they couldn't apprise because it's the same director, isn't it? Like maybe he feels the legacy of the equalizer is one he's prepared to risk more than training day. Because I have to imagine he's been offered so many prequels to do for that and all the technologies and things. I just don't, yeah. I think, I think the problem they could way back when, when it would have made sense, they couldn't make obviously, they, there was no way of them doing a, a decent training day sequel or prequel with him in it. Mm. very hard when you might get shot 78 times I wonder if you asked Antoine Fuqua now if he regretted that what he would say I hope the answer is no because it's such a brilliant ending to the film yeah I just wonder would we look at training day in the same way maybe let's not answer that question because we've still got training day to do again in this bracket so Um, I'll stop myself there now a couple of questions that will take us through the film as it goes how does Ryan Reynolds just sneak him out of the safe house so easy? <laughs> we got this incredible team on the way in. Yeah. 
How does he do it? I don't know. It makes doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's one of those things that I mean, I don't, I, you're not. Uh, it's not you're supposed to make sense, like, is what you're saying. Yeah, if you go into a film like, this, like asking fucking asking questions, you're always going to be disappointed. Just let <laughs> this take you. Let this take you where it wants to go. Because they come straight out, and um, we get this very cool car chase. Yes, it is very very good. Which could have been avoided if he just drove conspicuously. Like they pick up on which car it is, but there's only one car in South Africa hurtling at eighty yeah. miles an hour at this point. I said, "Oh, I think that might be the car that he's in the boot of." Yeah. And I know I had they had some issues where Denzel, Ryan Reynolds, they both agree they're going to do all their stunts themselves, at least in mm. this instance. Yeah. And so they're trying to work the scene where they're kind of scrapping in the front seat of the car. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds takes a wrong turn while doing the driving as well, because he's doing that at the same time. Yeah. And he bashes Denzel's head into the steering wheel (laughs) and he gets this big lump come out of his head. Mm. And so they say, okay, we'll film from a different angle or whatever. And the same thing happens again. And he said Denzel was looking like a Christmas ornament where you'd thread the needle through on both sides because he just had these two knots on the side of his head and they had to take three days off, which he said was a nice break for everyone in South Africa for three days. But they had to wait for the swelling to go down on Denzel's head. Do you think... Denzel would have had to be convinced, I think, in that instance, that he shares some of the culpability. Uh... Or is Ryan Reynolds a big enough star at that point that that Denzel can't lose his head? Because if someone older was talking about him, I think you would hear them say he doesn't suffer fools. I don't don't know. I mean, there, there is... I mean, it is. You can't. Yes, you can. You can sort of blame, but you can't get. You can't apportion the full blend. And ultimately, somebody's just even like in a in a choreographed way. Somebody's still trying to kick the shit out of him whilst he's trying to drive the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, feel someone yeah. on board could have had a word there and said, "Maybe like take some of this off your hands." Yeah, I feel like they could have maybe put that on a tow truck and just shot it that way. And all he's got to do is worry about. St- I, I don't know. I suppose it would have been hard, but. Do you think still movie magic available? Do you think Denzel maybe had more power on this set due to the fact that he's Denzel? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if the director's aware as well of the issues and he's essentially staying in a job because Denzel wants him to be staying in a job, maybe you listen more to what that guy has to say than you usually would as a director. I don't know if I don't know if he's bringing that up. Doesn't strike me as the type to be holding out over someone. No, no. But I feel that the director clearly has. He's probably aware at some point of that going on. Possibly. A lot of the criticism for this film was how predictable it was. Mm. Did you find it to be as predictable as they say it was? You and can if see so, it coming. Why? You can see the well. You, the one bloke who's looking after is looking after him. As soon as you find out there's a mole, uh, he's being really nice. To, being really nice to your main character, probably going to be in. And he's, when they're played by Gleason, it's like when he's playing just this mediocre kind of chief 
mm. in the CIA that's doing nothing but okay, I'm deciding we're going to South Africa in this one. Probably think maybe this will be more than meets the eye with you. Yeah. As we said, looking back with like Kevin Spacey in Seven or the usual suspects or whatever, it would be very apparent now that the clear star in this case is going to have a bit more to do than what meets the eye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yes, it is predictable, but it's, it, films like this get to be predictable. Uh, I agree to some extent. You know, think... I don't think you're watching this. You're not once you're ten minutes when you're fifteen minutes into this, you're not really watching it for the story anymore. You're watching it because the fight, the fight scenes are fucking awesome. You've watched a mint car chase. Someone's been shot. All right, let's go. I think you could have pump faked me into believing that the woman is the issue this whole time, and she's the guy running it out. But that's and what they try. It flipped. Okay, well, maybe they, they didn't come across they, that one. <laughs> uh, well, he does, yeah, because he asks about her extraction team, and then he gets the boss to go and investigate her team, and he's trying to lead you down the path that oh, she's the she's the problem. But even in doing that, they try and plant that seed, but it becomes pretty obvious quickly that that's all he's trying to do is plant a seed, and he's the guy. Because I agree for the most part with you um, that when you sign up for this film, you're not signing up for a great whodunit and a this no. and that. But I, I do also think we've seen films on a far lesser budget in the same genre at least give us a bit more creativity with it. And maybe when you do have Denzel and, and Reynolds, maybe there's a bit more, I, I'd expect a bit more creativity. But you also get to, you also get to have less creativity because you just can, Basically, your your cop, your excuses, sir. We got Denzel. We used him. So I know there's an excuse for sure. I just mean, um, I bet far more money went into this than went into the first Born, which is the example they use in the trailer. And there's just a lot more twists and turns in that. Maybe you could have just chucked another one in. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think you do when you've got a cast like this. Should you use it? Should you try and be creative to maximise it? Possibly, or yes, probably, but do you have to? No, because you could just make it as linear and as straightforward as you want to be like, yeah. how great is that? How great is Denzel? How great is Denzel and Ryan Reynolds? So, the last point I had was Denzel's character. He says fairly early on, "Look, I only kill professionals." Mm-hmm. That's kind of the the way Sons uh, Western's character, mm-hmm. and by the end of it, we're supposed to look at him as kind of a good guy, good-ish guy. Yeah. He does wipe out, like, an entire team of police chiefs in South Africa who've done nothing wrong, by the way. Like, I get they're professionals, but we shouldn't overlook the, like, bloody scene he leaves. Yeah. And I only thought about it at the end of the film. Well, hang on a minute. I just... Hmm. (laughs) They were kind of used like when Godzilla marches down the street and he stomps on about 10,000 people on his walk, but we're only supposed to care about Millie Bobby Brown and her family in the centre. (laughs) And that was, ooh, okay. Yeah, because they they don't have a name, they don't count, basically. Yeah, it was like, I need to get to my point. I mean, you could have shot them in the leg, you could have done whatever. Yeah. It was was just a strange one. A means Mm -hmm. to an end, I know, but 
it just stood out to me when I was reflecting on it afterwards. Yeah. What What do you think about... So when you've got a soundtrack that's a banger, like No Church in the Wild, and I said to you before, even if you don't remember, a big part of this marketing was centering around yeah. this song. Well, it's like the same that the album fresh. came out. It's the same yeah. that the album came yeah, out, wasn't it? exactly. What do you think about saving it for the credits? I quite like it. I'm in mixed. Like at the same time, you could have given me a car chase. So the way I think I'd have done it, and as someone with no directing experience outside of media studies A level, I think when you think Denzel has died or could be dead towards the conclusion of the film. I think you could have him driving a car into the credits and no church in the wild comes on and it's him. Maybe he puts his sunglasses down or something or after Ryan Reynolds presses the button to send off the uh, dossier of names and then the soundtrack kicks in. Yeah, I have to admit, him just disappearing to Paris and just sharing the little Bruce Wayne Alfred moment with his ex. <laughs> I don't, I don't, don't need it. I mean, it's nice. Don't get me wrong, but I don't need it. Yeah, there's. I when we go through Goodfellas and we can mm. say, "I love this song in this moment," and this, and look, this isn't supposed to be Goodfellas. It just brings a little something. Like if you could have given me a moment, even like Still Jane. Still Dre and Training Day that we always refer to yeah. as one of the best uses of music in cinema history. You're in the office. Yeah. Wow. You could have given me a moment like that. Like Denzel mixed with Jay-Z and Kanye. That would have been like up a tier. I actually, uh, I actually, I actually really like you about when he presses the button and it just kicking in then. Yeah. I would have quite like that. Um, This had a 6.7 on IMDb. Slightly better than I thought. I would have gone six. I'm just checking now. Maybe I was second guessing it. It's six point seven or six point two, and maybe I've shot too high. That's six point seven. So there you yeah, go. Slightly, it's really better than I, better than I would have thought. Yeah. There you go. So you enjoyed the film overall? I do. Yeah, I liked it. Like I said to you before, I tried to watch this once when I was hungover and fell asleep. <laughs> this is the first good. time. First time I'd ever seen it. I mean, that, that should be no re- no reflection of the film because when I'm hungover, all I want to do is sleep. That feels like a rash choice for a hangover as well. Like, I usually don't want anything too uh, loud and kind of pounding. But I just want something that's going to be simple. I don't I don't want to... I don't. The noise less so hurts than me having to think about anything. Yeah, I'd have gone down. Maybe even this the uh, comedy route or just something like that. That's yeah. normal, but I think that's that's your standard. But sometimes I sometimes I just like an action film. Yeah, and there you go. Um, just before we move on, I saw uh, on Twitter recently someone talking about the other guys, and just took me back. I know we did the podcast on it, but I've had uh, get his bitches better be wearing jimmies <laughs> in my <laughs> in my head ever since. Whose baby is that? And I I did see there's a sample of people on Twitter that are just finding out that Mark Wahlberg might not be the loveliest bloke ever like uh, some believe him to be. So that's always interesting when you see people discovering that for the first time. Oh, what, discovering that he blinded a Vietnamese guy. All right. Okay, there we yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is a massive racist in his youth. Yeah. 
see, this is where I usually say if we move on, but that sounds <laughs> that sounds a bit more rash now that I'm saying we move on. But we will move on. LA <laughs> Confidential. Um, we're going to get onto a Kevin Spacey film. So, uh, well, from one bad bloke to another. <laughs> Here we go. LA Confidential. Welcome to Los Angeles, the city of the future. From the glitz and glamour. What do you do on the show, Jack? I teach Brett Chase how to walk and talk like a cop. To the greed and corruption. I run call girls that look like movie stars. Everyone here has a secret. You talk only to me. And secrets can kill. See the movie everybody's talking about. Four stars says Roger Ebert. The best American movie of the year says New York Magazine. L.A. Confidential. Rated R. As corruption grows in 1950s Los Angeles, three policemen, one straight-laced, one brutal and one sleazy, investigate a series of murders with their own brand of justice. Was this your first time viewing? No, I've seen it before. More than once or just once? I think it's the third time I've ever seen it. Okay, this is my second time. What do you think the critics think of it? Bye, mate, smashed it. Darker than piping hot coffee and more hard-boiled than a picnic egg. This is color. This is a colourfully brutal police detective thriller. They definitely had those analogies just ready to use. In yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like the person who wrote that was really proud of it, but quite honestly, it's quite it's shit. But it's like sometimes I'll save a meme from Twitter and I'm waiting for a reason to use it in a group chat. And if I've waited a couple of days, it's like any excuse here. Hmm. I'm just chucking this in anyway. Um, the ensemble cast is flawless, anchored by two intense young Aussies, Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce. I read a story with Guy Pearce and he sat in one of those kind of an evening with hmm. with the author. And the author was asked, are any of your books going to be brought to the big screen anytime soon? And he's Aussie as well. Mm. and he said yes as a matter of fact Ellie Confidential will be the one and it's actually going to be two Australians Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce that are going to be leading the film and he said the whole audience just started pissing themselves like they just assumed it was a joke Yeah, couldn't believe he's being serious and he said it's maybe the most downbeat he'd been in his film career yeah, no shit. That it just wasn't, he thought there was going to be this rapturous applause. Half the reason he was in the audience was to just to see what people say about the characters and things like that. And then he's just greeted with that. Nobody knows he's there. And he has to just walk out shamefully at the end. Bless him. Adapted from a novel said to be unadaptable and set in a genre that has seemed increasingly played out, it brings clarity and life to its art and to life. That's a pretty good definition of a masterpiece, isn't it? Yes, it is. There you go. Uh, all the cops are corrupt in different ways, but as the murk and muck of the story deepens and thickens, three of them rouse themselves out of the moral torpor and rediscover their vocation, if not exactly their honour. Everyone's in their bag with these uh, critics' reviews. They're a level up from some of the ones we usually get, the ones we used to have that were just wishing death on Adam Sandler for every comedy he did. Yeah. Yeah, at least they like people put thought into these. One of the things the film conveys, in addition to institutionalized corruption, is the energy and excitement of a city that knows it's on the move. LA Confidential is juicy dynamite. Mm. I don't know what that means. No. Nope. Again, 
I'll take that over the more hard-boiled than a picnic egg. Yep, correct. Now, I had a game for you last week when it came to IMDb. I've got a similar one here. Um, I'm not going to ask you to guess. I'm actually just going to take your opinion on films this time around. Okay. Um, And I guess we'll know by the end of it where you place LA Confidential. Okay. So every film I'm about to give you has been done on the podcast or will be done on the podcast. Yeah. And they're all rated identically with LA Confidential. Ooh. And if you tell me whether you think it's fair or not fair. Okay. Die Hard. I'm surprised by it, but I'd say fair. 8.2 for all of these, by the way. Okay. Snatch. Oh, again, surprised. Prefer Snatch, but I'm surprised it's got as big rating. <laughs> taxi Driver. No, Taxi Driver. Again, you think that should be would be higher the way people talk about it. Which did you enjoy more? Ooh. Yeah, LA Confidential. Lock but stock. Sorry. One thing to be said, as I've told you many a time, I do lo- just do lo- do love anything do love a, a film about, about detectives. Yep. Lock uh, stock. Pre- again, prefer lock stock, but I would think I actually I prefer lock stock, but I would have thought that would have been lower than this. Yeah. Casino. Oh come on. Casino blows this out of water. So you're disappointed casino's got the eight point two. Mm. Yeah. This film, by the way, has a 99% rating on the uh, Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter. Yeah, people go all out for this, mate. But then yeah. it feels like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like this should be, like when you look at the cast and you look at what happens and how good a film it is, I feel like this should just be talked about more, but it's just not. No, and when I was reading, uh, Guy Pierce and Russell Crowe, are both relatively unknown stars at the time. Maybe that's got something. And to there do has with to it. be an insistence from uh, the director. Don't know. This is the cast I'm going with. Because I mean, Spacey. He's done seven at this point. He's, he's done yeah. the Usual Suspects. He's fucking massive. Yeah, it's the other two. Um, that's why he gets top billing, I guess, when he's in the le- he's in it the least of the three uh, main guys. Yeah. Uh, no Country for Old Men. Think that I think no country for old men should have a higher rating. I agree. I was quite surprised actually. And finally, um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I prefer LA Confidential, but once again, I am very surprised that their level. You'd think again, the way people talk about Indiana Jones, it would be we higher up that list. I'm not sure. That's not typically the kind of film I expect to have a high rating. Like. When we did last week, we went through the Denzel films and we saw the ratings of like Training Day, for example. Mm. That kind of put things into perspective for me. Because oh, yeah, but I'd have thought Indiana Jones. I get what you're saying, but you'd think Indiana Jones was is so beloved by. Yeah, I'm so far in the minority by saying I'm not a fan. It's insane. Never like forget Harper's certain... claim. Yeah, to certain people, my words are basically criminal actions. <laughs> like people go all out for Indiana Jones, so I'm just surprised that it only sits with an 8.2. Yeah. But hey. There you go. Of those films, which was the one you liked the most? Cool. Probably No Country for Old Men or Casino. Uh, maybe Lockstock. Are you a diehard guy? 
or does that fall too closely into the Christmas bracket for you? No, I like Die Hard 1. I don't. I'm not a great lover of Die Hard 2. Die Hard with a Vengeance is my favourite. Yeah, yeah. Did that on the pod. We did, yeah. And I told you then how much I loved it. I think that's yeah, the best I think, one. To be fair, between us, it was all of our favourites. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's the best one. So There we go. Um, back to the film at hand. So when promoting his programme, The Loudest Voice on the Howard Stern Show, Russell Crowe said this was one of two films where he wishes there was a sequel as he'd like playing the character that much. Can oh, you guess sorry, the other film? Gladiator? No, more recent. Robin Hood? No, still to come on the podcast. Have we got another Russell Crowe film? We have. TK said he wants to be on the episode. It means nothing to me, mate. The nice guys. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'd like a sequel. I'd love to yeah. see him and Gosden get back together. Absolutely. Um... James Elroy described Kevin Spacey's performance of Jack Vincennes as some of the best self-loathing I've ever seen on screen. Well, there is probably a reason he was so good at that. <laughs> it's, I find, I found his character quite strange in this, and I don't know if it's because of the role he usually plays, or, or if it's the way that it's framed on film. Are we supposed to suspect that? he's up to no good as much as it does feel with him in this? Or is that just something that now comes with uh, the no. floor for Spacey? No, it's nothing to do with him. It's to do with the character. Okay. I was questioning it as I was watching because just his voice alone now feels like he'd be the perfect like Scooby-Doo villain. Mm. But we weren't saying... But you, as I swear, as it turns out, there is all, all about it in The Usual Suspects, but you didn't have that thought watching that, did you? And if anything, if it was to do with him, you probably would do more. Yeah, Yeah, fair point. So Russell Crowe initially turned this film down as he did not believe he could convincingly portray such a tough character. Goes on to be one of the hardest men on film. Yeah, his whole thing is like, I'm a grizzled guy, I've seen some things. Mm. Um, Pamela Anderson auditioned for the role of Veronica Lake. Yeah, fair enough. Kim Basinger goes on to win, Oscar, win an Oscar for this. He's fucking minting it as well. Yeah. Um, Mel Gibson was considered to play Bud White. So they just locked in early that they were going full Aussie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. And Matthew McConaughey turned down the role of Ed Exley, played by Guy Pearce. Uh, I don't, I don't, I've never seen, really seen a young McConaughey, so I've got the don't know... Fair shot, actually. What that would have been like. For for me, the biggest issue with this film is Guy Pearce. In... Maybe that's why it suits this film. I don't think he should ever be playing the protagonist. Okay. I don't think you can frame his face <laughs> as being the hero. Like, I think he's just so much more perfectly suited to being the smug bad guy. And I know he's supposed to come across as smug in this, and maybe that's part of the reason that he cast that and him being an Aussie. But yeah, it's a it's a strange one for me. It are we supposed to root for him in this or not, or is all of our eggs supposed to be in the Russell Crowe basket? I I think you are when you learn about how he what he does to like he's uncovering corruption. He's trying to he, he starts he certainly starts off trying to do the right thing. Yeah. 
because I, I find it just too hard to root for him. I just don't see him as being that guy. Hmm. Is no. it? Me, I don't know if it's a sign of the times thing, which is worrying if so. Should it be such a big thing? Because Russell Crowe's entire character is essentially, I don't like men beating women. Yeah. And that's such a thing that's driven home. Like, we're supposed to really be like, well, we, I mean, what a guy this is. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Um, and again, certain, well, I don't even think he's just trying to do what he thinks is the right thing. I suppose there is a difference. Because, like, someone makes a comment at one point, don't they? Like, yeah. Um, you know, he has a real thing for protecting women that are being mm. abused by men. Like, well, that's quite a fair one to be going down. Like, I'd assume most policemen should be like that. Yeah. You'd like to think so. And then Spacey's character is doing the whole wanting to be accepted thing. Yeah. Doing the bits on the side or whatever. Um, the project was pitched twice to television. Once as a miniseries, and then it was just going to be an ongoing weekly series on HBO. A very poorly executed pilot is the way it was described. The guy in Spacey's role, Kiefer Sutherland. Okay. It was not picked up. <laughs> no, I think he's probably got that right enough. Yeah, but if he'd have got that, mate, you might never have got 24. And you've not watched 24, have you? No. You, you'd absolutely like it. It's a, it's a fair commitment just seeing 24 episodes for a season, I know. Um, but season one is some of the best television I've ever seen. Fair enough. Well, again, no, you're right. I've never seen it. I think it's on Disney Plus, or at least it was. It definitely was, yeah. I'm not so, sure if it still is. Yeah, definitely worth a go. Harper would uh, co-sign that if that means anything uh, mm-hmm. also. Yeah. About, about the film then, so... The thing they really try to drive home here with the kind of three leading guys, and I think you'd have this, and I imagine at the time it was kind of film noir was probably plastered all across the marketing. I would I would have thought so. Yeah. They try framing it as uh, this isn't as simple as good versus evil, heroes and anti-heroes and all of this. Yeah. Does it work better for you when there's then three of them like that is that a better way of driving home the look there aren't just good and bad people in real life there's merely people um demonstrating their own moral code uh yes i do think because protagonist antagonist i think is often is often just a it's almost a 1v1 in films not like physically but it's almost is just sort of a mano a mano sort of thing whereas as a three, I think they all represent. Makes no sense because there's three of them, but they all, all represent different sides of a coin, sort of thing. So, so it kind of drives home that this is how normal people are, rather than mm. usually the person like this in a film is a one-off. Like everyone comments on the, you know, he's a cop that doesn't play by the rules. Got love like <laughs> you must hear that so many times in films, by the way. Yeah, like this. This isn't Dirty Harry. No. This is like if there were three, well, two Dirty Harrys and 
one. And even in the end, do you think it's a good thing that they all essentially break the moral code that they've been standing by the whole film? Uh, yes, it it builds to it, doesn't it? And it's to show, like you say, that there are no, there's no, it isn't black and white. The one of them makes more sense than the other. I agree. Because Guy Pearce's character is essentially the, look, by the end of the film, he's realised the law is there to be abided by, but the law doesn't always get things done. And he realises that at the point when he's having explained, you know, well, I'll just go and speak to the police guys out there. Get your badges out. Make sure they know who the who the policemen are here. And he shoots him in the back as he's been asked if he would do earlier in the film. Russell Crowe's one of, look, I'm so against hitting women, but now that I've been wronged by a woman, <laughs> smack. Yeah, all bets are off. And then they just send guy. You know, he is really sorry, by the way. Just he he is. And I hope you know that. And then we're supposed to, oh, well, well he apologised, so. Yeah, it's hard to, it, yeah, it break, breaks a jaw. I'm sorry, I saw good. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the whole way of them getting together in the first place of a, he met up with her while investigating a crime and then just stalks mm. her till eventually she invites him in. Yeah. And when he just plants one on her. Rash to start with. Um, so maybe there's a few more questionable things about that character. The the character of the rape victim in this film, yeah. Inez Soto, she's called in the book. Okay. And she has a much larger role in the book in that she's actually the girl they're fighting over. Okay. We've got we've got the the setup of this uh, call girl service where they have plastic surgery to look like celebrities, but that's just kind of the racket that's there. The character that Kim Basinger eventually plays is in the book, but the role is just so much smaller, and a lot of her traits are passed on to this character who's abused, and I guess it then provides far further moral questions throughout the book in the way that it's dealt with in there. But I know one of the critics reviews mentioned it, that this book was supposed to be unadaptable. I saw a picture of kind of the thickness of the book. This is a two hour, 20 minute film. You wouldn't believe that you could condense it down to that. And so they, they've molded some characters like we've spoken about previously. And I think we said we quite liked it previously when it's like a true story one. This has an interesting way to go about it to completely just change. Maybe it trans, maybe they think they've got enough questionable things in the film to have the viewers pondering over that they could save them an extra one. It's interesting that's the way they do it. Yes, it is. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, it is interesting. It's, it's another twist in a film that's, you know, they're talking safe house and not a great twist. In this, it moves constantly, doesn't it? Yeah, because typically if we were seeing how this would usually be cast, you would then just put a model in the shoes of Kim Bassinger's role. I don't know if I'm saying her name right. And she would play the rape victim and you would continue the same storyline with her. 
or an actress of that same caliber. But yeah. they decide to do it differently for this, I guess. If it's the... They're trying to paint that LA is this glitzy city where all of this is going on, but we've got this kind of murky side beneath and she's supposed to be the in-between, isn't she? Yes, yeah, most definitely. So, so maybe... She's definitely painted as a victim, isn't she? But not yeah. certainly not the same type of victim as if she was assaulted and then they go down that way of going about it. They actually just make that a very small... 20 minute sequence in the film yeah and I again quite glad the way they did it I'm not sure I need 30 minutes or 30 40 minutes on that would have been a lot it's a heavy film anyway but it is yeah would have been a lot heavier what do you think about the way they blend all of this together well in terms of the intertwining of the storylines yeah so we've got just to put it simply there's a lot going on Yes, there is. Like at almost any given moment, there's a lot going on in this film. This is one that I, even though I'd seen it before, I really had to sit down and concentrate. Yeah, yeah. Just because it had been a while since I watched it. And I was like, oh, well, there's a good chance I've forgotten something here. Um, so I really, really put like put my full attention into it. And I do think, I think the way that the characters link and then how they come together to move the story on, I think it's shot or put together as a story more so than shot, but. The way it's put together, I think I, I really like it, mate. Yes, yeah, very good. I think it's yeah. one of those where even it's if easy. We... Go Sorry, on. go on. I was going to say I think it, it could easily have gone wrong for them um, if the characters weren't to, to sort of similar. They're not the same, but in a different in different types of types of intensity. But all three of the cops are really intense characters, and so is the police captain. So is, so is everyone else. So it's played just the same. There's no, for a large part, there's no real outlier in terms of if you're looking at the story and the characters and, you know, I'm not sure about that one or they, they, they do all, they all are written and put together really well. I think this would be one like, say, so we did Taxi Driver a fortnight ago. I think even if, because that was your first time seeing Taxi Driver, even if it you was. didn't like Taxi Driver, I think you'd have, come on here and said I didn't like it for XYZ reason but I can I can appreciate what Scorsese was doing and why it's kind of revered in the way it is whether it's the arc of the character whether it's just a slow descent whether whatever you could say I can see why it's been held up like that and I do think this is in the same uh, in the same field there where even for those that dislike it I think you'd appreciate there's something a bit different. I think you'd appreciate that there is a lot going on, but it's all explainable. Um, and that it just feels original. A lot of detective ones have the tendency. I think when we look back at Sherlock Holmes and we both remembered liking it and then we looked at it and it felt a lot more formulaic than perhaps it did when we were 15 watching it. Yeah. No, I'm with you. This doesn't feel like that in the same way. It feels like an original take on yes. what's a fairly story. overdone trope. Yeah, no, no, most definitely. And it, uh, I said what I said about Guy Pierce. That's a very personal thing, and it didn't stop my uh, involvement in the film. There isn't any, really anyone that I can point to here to say that has done a bad job, that I would change this, that I would do that different. No, no, I'm in the complete same same agreement as well. I think Basinger, Mint, Spacey, very good. Guy Pierce, very good. Russell Crowe, very good. 
even James Cromwell as the police captain puts in a good term. Yeah. I have to imagine that Kevin Spacey being killed about halfway to three quarters of the way through the film would have hit differently then as well because you're killing off the recognisable face. You're, you're killing off the main guy and then yeah. it's kind of the bets are off. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think if they kill him off early and stuff, it, uh, whether you want it to or not, it probably turns into a little bit more of a revenge, revenge film sort of thing. Yeah, although they kind of, I think... Crow's character certainly, though they both have a respect for him, don't they? But his whole thing is, he's kind of a a cog in the system, isn't he? He he works for both sides in this, yeah. but they aren't really his friends. That he doesn't do much outside of the office, and so even with it being framed like that, I think that probably would help it being prevented that way. Or maybe if they'd used more Spacey because he was a bigger star then it could have become like that when he's killed off. Yeah. I remember the, yeah. Exa- the, the most egregious example I can remember is the Godzilla film where you, they advertise Brian Cranston front and centre on the poster for his first role post-Breaking Bad, and he's literally killed off in the opening scene. <laughs> and that was like... I mean, it's a different type of film, so it wasn't that, oh, I wonder what's going to happen here. You were fairly sure in a Godzilla film what was going to happen. But it was still, oh, they've killed off the the main man here. There was a film called Life, which we had a sequence of, look, we're on a spaceship and we're going to go to a planet and it just turns out there's something on this planet that gets onto the spaceship and everyone's going to pay. And that was probably around 2012, 14 but there was like four to six recognizable faces in that film and they die in like the initial sequence. And so it can work sometimes because then you're okay. Anyone can get it here. And it probably empowered Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce more than even they would have realized just from a a sheer trust standpoint that you've got this big blockbuster film. We're trusting you two to lead the film to the end after this guy's been killed off. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Really good point. I don't know. We kind of get this love triangle formulate with the two of them and uh, Lynn. I don't remember seeing much build-up between her and Guy Pierce's character. Like with Russell Crowe, they they do a job of generating some kind of will they won't they tension right from the first time they meet. Guy yeah. Pierce just seems to go in there and then they're just standing a bit closer than you would usually say is comfortable as he tries to get some answers. And the next thing you know, he's going to town with his ass in the air. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, the answers bit is interesting because that's what oh that is very much what this starts out, isn't it? is like a fact-finding mission. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's baffling. Um, a bit spinny to see a film like this that isn't coke-related and it's heroin this time around. Yeah. <laughs> Massive improvement. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, anything else to add on this film? We've got a number of scenes that 
stand out as being particularly creepy. The one where he's, he's going into the house, I thought. Yeah. Shot really well. Eerie here. A little bit of a slowdown, which just always adds to the anticipation, doesn't it? So one of the only things that caught me, so I had some vague memories of the first time around that I watched it. Um, and I remembered there being some kind of uh, like shutters. I remember the shot of them looking out and seeing things happening outside while they're waiting for the police chief to turn up. In my head, I'd positioned that as being around the, the kind of cellar of this house. Mm. And when I saw him having to crawl in there to see this mm. body, I was like, how the hell are they going to frame this going on in here? Obviously, it wasn't that, so it made a lot more sense by the end of it. But I had a good 20 minutes where I was questioning my own memory. Works yeah. out for the best. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I found myself doing a similar thing last night, trying to work out, just trying to work out what, what, what I still knew, what I still remembered of it. Because um, it was the first time I watched this was a long time ago. after hearing of seeing American Gangster last week thinking about the nice guys earlier seeing this um, I'm all for if, if Russell Crowe just wants to keep just smashing out like police detective films then I'm more than happy for him to just be doing that moving forward yeah that's a very very good point I mean I'd probably just watch I'd probably I would probably let him do that nice guys too I don't know what Ryan Gosling's got going on that's uh, so preventing that yeah, he's, I don't know. Because he's taken breaks before, as we touched on when we did Place Beyond the Pines. Um, yeah. I was just having a quick look to see what he's got. He's got seven films coming up. That the Grey Man that he did with Anna Diarmas and... Uh, Chris Evans. Chris Evans. We won't be watching that. I could have told you that. Like, oh, do you know the worst really part? For that. Do you know the worst part about that? I know you what? said you won't be watching it. Uh, I caught probably two, three Sundays ago, I was was in my house and one of my brothers had it on and I sat down to have a chat with my gran um, and about 25 minutes later, I found myself still watching it. I was like, tell you what, this is is decent. This didn't know, I know I'd walked in in the middle, so I knew I'd missed some some points of context and stuff. Turns out I actually watched the last 25 minutes because something happens at the end and it it cuts straight to the credits. And I was like, well, fuck, probably ain't going to sit and watch that now. Because I know know the ending. So of that film, yeah. Love me. So it wasn't even just Anna Diarmas reeling you in? No, like it, it sounds as though, mate, it's got CIA in the title. It's probably going to be up my street somewhere um, in the in the synopsis. So I was like, yeah. it's probably going to be somewhere in my wheelhouse. And it, yeah, and I probably would have watched it, probably would have thoroughly enjoyed it, but that chance had gone. Yeah, because like 2015 onwards, he does The Big Short, The Nice Guys, La La Land, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> And then from there, he's done. He's played Neil Armstrong in First Man, which does well actually. And then The Grey Man. So, uh, I've not seen the Neil Armstrong thing. No, he's doing. Oh, he's. I don't know if he's just got something going on with Margot Robbie. He's got the Barbie film coming, and he's in the Margot Robbie Ocean's Eleven film that's being done. Oh, he's doing another. I said this when we did Ocean's Eleven. They're basically doing a uh, basically the same thing as Ocean's Eleven, but with a female cast. But they're not doing the whole. This is just a female go over of it. I think they're going to market it differently. They're going to frame it differently and kind of be a, a redoing rather than a 
spin-off that I think there was too many of those at once. But you had the Ghostbusters one, you had the Oceans one, and people probably thought, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, I get that. So but I think she's got some creative control in it as well, Margot Robbie, so we'll see how that okay. goes. It's nice that she's, uh, she's got enough juice now to be pulling strings. Well, she's, she, I saw an interview with her today, actually, where she says she did I, Tonya, and she watched it back, and she said it was the first time in her career where she actually felt like, oh, I'm actually quite a good actor. Um. I don't know when I'm speaking for her here. She was, despite her performance, largely reduced to that beautiful woman that was in Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. Post-2012. Correct. And so maybe she goes through a phase. I mean, I, Tonya, she still looks like Margot Robbie, so she's still, like, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. she then does the Joan of Arc one, and so maybe she needs to do some things where People saw her a bit differently, but then yeah. even just seeing it herself, because she says she basically watched back I, Tonya, said, oh, I actually now believe in myself, and immediately wrote to Tarantino, because she said it was mm. on her bucket list to work with Tarantino, who is working out the script for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the time. Yeah. And he arranges a meeting with her and basically says, I want you to be Sharon Tate. Yeah. And then ticks that box off, and there you go. Maybe, I mean... I think she's she's good in like she's good in things I'd seen her. She was good in like I in. Uh... Have you seen Iton yet? No, it's good. It's good. I can't even remember the name of the film now. Um, what's the one with her and Will Smith did? Focus. Focus. Ironic that I forgot it. Um, like brilliant in that, but yeah, maybe Itonia was the first thing that. Oh, that sounds terrible. Probably sounds incredibly piggish, but. She wasn't cast for being. She was cast for being Margot Robbie, rather than rather than looking like Margot Robbie. Nice for that to be the other way around. Although I did just ask if there was a reason you watched The Grey Man, so maybe we're one all for the day. Maybe. Um, all right, let's get on to the judging. So let me just get back to the top of my scoreboard. Okay. Which film did you prefer? L.A. Confidential. I agree. Which film did you think was more rewatchable? It's probably safe house now. Also agree. Best moment slash scene? Oh, mate, it's the car chase in a safe house. That is an awesome car chase. I went to text you whilst watching it, whether yeah. it, like, it was just going to be like, yeah, Michael Bay, question mark? So... <laughs> There's some stick surrounding that car chase because there's an explosion in the middle of it, isn't there? Yeah. And people ask if you just search, I think even on the auto search, if you start looking up Safe House, Safe House Michael Bay is one of the early options. And it's just people saying, did we need this? Like, why Why is this a thing? We always need it. <laughs> always need it. Because on a motorway, something has to blow up. I, I would actually take the fight scene with... Joel Kinnaman, if I've remembered his name correctly. Um, is that his name? Or am I yeah, naming so. someone else completely separate? Um, but the fight scene that they have, I'm, we're completely... Yeah, it is him. We're completely explaining a way that Ryan, uh, Ryan Reynolds' character suddenly has the combat skills of all yeah. of the like most elite teams in the world in this film. Yeah, he just suddenly becomes like the fucking best secret agent in the world. Yeah, I know. But it was a very good scene. Anytime it you is. kind of go out of a window and you have that little moment of yeah. who's going to react first. 
Yes. Yeah. The shard of glass over the face where you have to strain, which yeah. is really that face because Gos- uh, he's saying Gosling that Ryan Reynolds pulls the same one when he's crying and when he's trying to stop some glass from going through his head, he pulls the same thing both times around. Um, that's kind of his thing around this time. So mm. um, that would be my pick. Best quote. I don't know. Uh, maybe they're they're going to tell you they're going to do. You did a good job, son. But we'll take it from here. Our mine will also be from Safe House, but it's largely just because of remembering it. The uh, "I'm already in your head" thing mm. was being spoken about in this trailer like it had just never been used before in cinema, <laughs> purely because it was I think Denzel saying it this time around. It was, yeah. But I remember that being a big thing with the trailer, so that was the one that stood out to me that I wrote down while watching. Uh, MVP. Probably Matt Weston, mate. What a... It's hard for... It's a little bit harder for LA Confidential, isn't it? Well, what I would say there is Exley gets the job done. He does. I feel, does he overcome more? It's probably harder, to, but they're both overcoming things within their own system. Uh, does he overcome more? I mean, one of them. I'm asking one, one of them's basically, one of them overcomes teams of international hitmen trying to kill them on multiple occasions. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you've, uh, you've, you've charmed me. Um, there we go. Um, um, yeah, I think he does just about. He's also. The way Denzel, they speak about Denzel, he's like, yeah, he's the, the greatest secret agent ever to exist. And he's the most dangerous man over. on the planet. Oh? The most dangerous man on the planet, they call him. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, he, <laughs> not only does he overcome fucking SEAL Team 6, he then also puts work on the most dangerous man on the planet. There you go. Um, best side character? Uh, Kim, Kim Bassinger. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say Danny DeVito, and then I realised... Um, Devito, what a legend! Uh, believability. La Confidential. Agreed. Best soundtrack. Uh, I actually like the the, the way La 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 Confidential sounds. I can't go against Watch the Throne, so. Uh... I know I get that, and I do love the album. Loved it when it came. Loved it when it came out. Still love it now, ten years later. Favorite song but... on the album. <sighs> Favorite song on the album. Uh... I stand by it, see this motherfucker alive. Let me come back to you. Even with the 347 silence at the start. Um, uh, let me come back to you, because there's yeah. a few... Made in America, I think. Um, Unreal. Originality. I think they're confidential. Yeah, it has to be. The store is awesome. Bigger impact. LA Confidential. Yeah. Uh, best opening scene? LA Confidential. Agreed. Best ending. If if I had your if I would have had your ending, it would be safe as, <laughs> as I don't like I said, I just there is there is actually I derived nothing from the fucking but from the Batman moment. No, um no, no. whatsoever. Same year that comes out as well, so it's even more weird. That's twenty twelve as well. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. And best chemistry. Oh, safe us. Ryan Reynolds and Denzel are a surprisingly yeah. electric pair. 
Well, no, maybe not surprisingly, because they both seem like two incredibly charismatic guys, and that carries over into almost every character they play. So 7-5 is the final scoreline to LA Confidential, so the big hitter goes through to the next round. And you may have jinxed it last week, first time Denzel ever goes out in the opening round of a movie madness bracket. Yeah, but he's already through, like, I mean, yeah. we've... <laughs> He's already through once, and well, it's going to be a guy. I'm not not giving. I don't mean I'm giving spoilers away, but we get to talk about training day again, and I think it's no secret. And this up against two guns, so it's double Denzel that week. Oh right, so he's guaranteed. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's also no secret. I think one of our biggest shared love in cinema might be training day. Yeah, well, so we'll definitely get back to that. So thank you again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness next week. Um, I mean, it's it's a series of films that have been hotly uh, contested on this podcast. It's not Piranha. I know what you may be thinking. We will be getting into the French-directed classic Leon the Professional up against Rise of the Foot Soldier 3. The English-directed classic Rise I of think... the Foot Soldier 3, the part part tape story. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think you might intro next week, so you could probably give it a big delivery. But okay. we'll see... May watch uh, number one first before we get there. But thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Adios. <laughs>